Hello, Stephen. Happy birthday, Erica. Oh, yeah. It's my birthday. I forgot for a second. Because <laughs> we're watching Doctor Who and we don't usually watch Doctor Who on your birthday. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, people could go back and see if there have been episodes on June 13th in previous years. Right. But but yeah, we do like to do Doctor Who on holidays and I consider my birthday a holiday. I think I do too as well. And you've taken like two days off from work as well. So it is like a holiday weekend. So yeah. It is. It definitely feels like a holiday weekend, that's for sure. I had cake for breakfast. I mean, you don't do that every day. I don't do that every day anyway. Well, in the before times, uh, we probably did more gathering together with friends on your birthday. Uh, But now that we can't do that as much, thanks to the global pandemic, um, we only have time to sit around and watch more Doctor Who. (laughs) I love how often you say thanks to the global pandemic. I do that. I, I tweeted this. It's so that scriptwriters in the future, when they're trying to make references of the fact that there's a global pandemic on, it will seem natural for them to write in scenes where characters go in the first scene. Oh, right. We can't really go outside that much because of the global pandemic. And so if I say it a lot, it'll just seem natural dialogue. And so it'll be easier for scriptwriters of the future to, uh, to place their plot in the particular time. You're a very kind, kind person. I do my best in this time, this unprecedented time <laughs> of a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's where we are. Yeah, it is a weird time to have a birthday. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, that means more time for watching Doctor Who, episodes four and five of The Demons. Yes, the, we wrapped up season eight. Mm-hmm. Season eight's done. We finished it. Oh, wow. I did not realize that. Yep. The master season is over. As you can see, he was hauled off in a unit Jeep being half-heartedly booed by the uh, villagers. That was like the, we had, we we usually have captions on and it said like villagers heckling the master. And I was just like, that's the most half-hearted heckling I've ever seen. Some of them are like, oh, it's very British, really, to be to be honest. I was just like, oh, we don't like him that much. And some of them, were, oh, boo, we don't like you. Go away, Mr. Magister. Yep. So off he goes. Mm-hmm. I bet you, I know what you were thinking. The first thing you wanted to talk about was, wow, the picture quality of episode four was really good, not so much for five. Weren't you, you were thinking, I could tell you were thinking that the whole time as we were watching it. Um. Sure. Now that you mention it, I'm trying to like think about it in my head, I guess. Did maybe maybe I retroactively noticed that maybe not. So I I of I course I ask so that I might answer. Uh, episode four is one of the few episodes that exist on their original broadcast master. Here we are at the end of episode of season eight of Doctor Who, the end of 1971, and a grand total if you discount the uh, four parts of Spearhead from Space, which of course were shot and broadcast on 16 millimeter film. There are a grand total of Four episodes that exist on the original Videotape Masters. Ambassadors of Death Part 1, um, Claws of Axos 1 and 4, and The Demons Part 4. Isn't that, And all the rest are like um, either like reverse standard correction from like color copies sent overseas and stuff or like Terror of the Autons and Ambassadors of Death and uh, the Silurians. They were like recolored by chroma dots and stuff like that. So yeah, eight years in. Four original videotape masters exist. It starts to get a little more common as the years come come along, but um, I thought it was a worthy to note that milestone. Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> it wasn't, but thank you. No, I think it is. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> it's the nerdiest thing. 
that anyone ever talks about on podcasts. I like nerdy things. I married you. That's true. You did. Yeah. Just wait. Oh, just wait about the tidbit uh, for the next episode that we talk about. That's that's further. We have to talk about this one yet. Uh, what did What did you think about the last two episodes of the demons here? They're fine. Like this story is never going to be my favorite story, but I it was I don't know. It was kind of I wouldn't say dreading watching it. I wasn't looking forward to it. It was it was fine. It was a Doctor Who story with Doctor Who things. Right. Um. Yeah. Like I remembered hearing that the Doctor was mean to Joe, and I really didn't feel like it bore that out as much as I was worried about. There were mm-hmm. definitely some moments, but like I also felt like she had some moments where she wasn't written terribly great. Oh, yeah. Also, speaking of moments when people weren't written terribly great, why is the brigadier like occasionally just just completely foolish? Because <laughs> like even before the doctor said the machine should have come through first, I was yelling at the screen, yeah. "Why didn't you put the machine through first?" Like that's the most important thing for the doctor to have and the brigadier knows that and the brigadier usually is a pretty decent tactician Mm -hmm. so i completely fail to understand why he didn't send like you know maybe send a you know some squaddies through first just to make sure that a vehicle can get through and then and then send the machine through right away rather than saving it for last it just seems just on the face of it flat out stupid and that really bothers me and it bothers me so much that it kind of ruins like a lot of the good things about this story like it bothers me that much it does wow i mean to be fair uh, the yeah, go ahead and help me headcanon this better because it's bad no it is kind of bad um the uh um the machine even if it went through first it still had to work to open the portal for all the rest of them to come through so i think it still would have overloaded regardless if it came through last yeah, but that has absolutely no bearing on what the brigadier knows at the time. True. Yeah. So, like, he doesn't know it's going to overload. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, probably um, uh, Osgood did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's trying to tell him. But you know, even if yeah, it had to keep the the portal open, but it could have done that from the other side. Like it clearly c- continued to do that from the other side for a while. Like it's just like this really, really, really bothers me. Although it was being powered up until like Osgood actually has to get off and like unhook the power from the, the power, the pylon power pylon. Mm-hmm. That's what he gets out and then, then runs back in the Jeep and then it goes through. So maybe he needed every last bit of power to run that. Okay. I'm just, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that helps, that helps a little uh, bit, but if that's the case, then why did nobody explain that? Like, there's nothing that, you know, anyway, like it's bothersome. When you think about it, uh, that whole, the end of the wrapping up of that, of the, whatever the, the time scoop and I don't know what it's called, um, is the end of like two and a half episodes of complete superfluousness. The brigadier and his people mm-hmm. are stuck on the outside of this dome. The doctor rides all the way out there mm-hmm. to explain how to build this thing, this energy dive separator, whatever it is, so they can get through the thing. And then they build it, and then they finally open the thing, and then they come through the thing, and then the thing blows up, and they don't use the thing. Two and a half episodes mm-hmm. it took to get that thing built mm-hmm. through and then destroyed without it doing anything other than bringing the brigadier through. I feel like that's kind of a a tried and true piece of Doctor Who. It doesn't happen in every episode, but there's yeah. always a lot of runaround yeah. that amounts to nothing. Yeah, like Malcolm Hulk episodes will be like, in order to create action, they'll like escape from mm-hmm. the prison, run around, and then get caught and get put back 
in that same prison mm-hmm. and that like kills six minutes but creates action during the course of that but the important thing is like the characters are all working to toward the the goal That's true. so you know it's and it, it, you know it gives you some good moments like the brigadier saying that sometimes he wishes he worked in a bank <laughs> that made me laugh <laughs> yeah. uh at the end at the end of course too him and captain yates go for a pint as opposed mm-hmm. to join in the mary and morris dancing revelry mm-hmm. yeah yep yeah, there's some definite good Brigadier moments. There was just that really, 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 really bad one. This might be, I mean, it's not the first time that the Brigadier has sort of like been made out to be the idiot. That's the problem with, you know, at some point you have to like, there has to be kind of a dummy to ask the question that needs to be asked, but everyone else is smart. I'm going to compare that to a series that you're also watching a lot these days, which is Eureka where um, the lead character is the sheriff in a town full of scientific geniuses. And sure, he's probably smart enough to know things, but guess what? The average viewer probably doesn't know what they're all doing with these experiments. So someone has to ask these questions. And the only person who is proximate to everyone at the time to ask these questions is the sheriff. And so he he looks dumb Mm -hmm. by asking questions he should know, but they need to be questions that need to be asked. And I don't mind it when the Brigadier is put in that position when they are talking about, you know, aliens from another planet Mm -hmm. or Silurians or anything like that. When it comes to just like the most absolute basic tactical thing, Mm -hmm. like that's his job. And usually he's pretty good at his job. Um, So, yeah, I just that's it will that will just continue to bother me forever and ever. Okay. Um, But other than that, there was some. Some good stuff. Although I was really distracted with uh, Miss Hawthorne looking at the camera. Like, she's very... And I don't know if this is something that she was doing uh, as a as a choice in acting or if it's just the way that, that she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but she blinks a lot. Yep. She's very blinky. And in at least one of the scenes in the pub, like, she keeps as she's blinking, glancing at the camera. And it was so distracting to me that I kind of lost the thread of what was going on in that scene because I was just like, whoa. It was odd. Was someone like distracting her on that side of the camera or what? I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. But yeah, so that was, uh, that was a little distracting. As you know, Overall, I kind of enjoy her, the idea of her character. Mm-hmm. You know, the science versus magic and the idea that magic works exactly the way that she thinks it works. And it also works exactly the way the doctor thinks it works. He just doesn't call it magic. They're basically, it's the same, it's the same thing. They're just labeled it differently. It's kind of funny. What's the Asimov quote regarding that? Is it Asimov who came up with it? Uh, you're thinking of Arthur C. Clarke? That's the one. What is the quote? Uh, I think it's Clarke's third law. Um, that uh, any technology sufficient, sufficiently advanced um, basically looks like it's magic. That's I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the captain in the pirate planet also said that. And I'm going to choose to choose that quote sure. from instead of Arthur C. Clarke. It's the captain from the Pirate Planet. Well, Douglas Adams was also a, a well-known science fiction writer, which was from many years later. I'm, I'm just to decide. I'm, I'm enjoying the John Pertwee era, but I told you last night the car that I'm looking forward to the Graham Williams era because it's the funnest three years of Doctor Who. Oh, I can't wait! Can we do the Graham Williams era twice? I, maybe, actually, maybe there might be there might be. Rare occasions where we do two episodes in in one podcast because I think we'll just want to like talk about each one individually because there's so much fun. I just yeah, that's that's my Doctor Who happy place for sure, and I feel like there's there's a lot to sort of get through until we get there. Well, we're having fun. We're enjoying it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's I'm 
I'm definitely less like uh, excited to sit down and watch Doctor Who now than I was like say during the Patrick Troughton right. era. Like this is this isn't drawing me back in the same way. It's like okay, well we've got some time. We can we can watch one. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the the great unknown as a lot of the black and white stuff was. There's that too. There's yeah. you know, you haven't seen it whereas this you've you're trying to remember, have I seen this? Oh, I've seen the bits of this. Okay, I think I remember this bit. I've been told about this bit. So, yeah. it's becoming more familiar but not familiar because you haven't properly seen it. That's kind of thing, right? Mhm. Yeah. And I feel like I probably I know a lot more about this whole era. Mm-hmm. The part where just from hearing people talk about it more, I think it gets more coverage just sort of in general than in the Troughton era, sadly, but a lot of that's because so much of the Troughton era is missing. It is, yeah. Um, what else? You didn't like Joe's outfit? Your display? Oh, here we go. yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I just, I think I mentioned that in a previous episode. Like I don't this remember. is, it's been a while. this is one I would never ever want to cosplay. Like I just, I just don't, don't particularly dig it. And when they took her out of the cavern to change her into the uh, ceremonial tabard, mm-hmm. um, I was like, yeah, that is so much better. I like this just, you know, kind of white white gown sort of with the long floofy sleeves. Like mm-hmm. that was nice. And then afterwards, the doctor says, you know, why don't you get changed out of that silly dress or whatever? And I was like, oh, fine, whatever. I assumed that when they shuffled her out of the basement, they just took her upstairs like into the church. Yeah. I assume that's where you keep your ceremonial tabards is right there in the church. And I assume that they just changed her so that when the, sh- the church blew up, that awful outfit blew up with it. And I was kind of pleased and happy. And then she shows up at the end and she's wearing the same thing. Either that or she just has a duplicate outfit. I mean, I suppose maybe they took her all the way to the bar, to the to pub yeah. to have her change, but that doesn't make any sense. So I feel like that's either a continuity error or we just learned a little bit some, of something about Joe. Like she knows what her job entails. There's a lot of running around. Sometimes you get dirty mm-hmm. and she wanted to be ready to be able to still be wearing the same same outfit, but be clean. So she just had a backup set of clothes that was exactly the same as uh, the first set. I would like to, th- I have a different headcanon towards this, and, and it's this, you know, the, the two uh, acolytes mm-hmm. took her off to change into the gown, and she probably thought, don't look at me while I'm changing you, peeping toms, and so she managed to uh, negotiate going to the pub so there'd be a separate room where she could try to change, and then during that bit, there was an escape attempt, which she failed at. This this if there was a six part story, that's what would have happened in there. Joe would have actually tried to escape because you know she's got a master's degree in escapology or something like that, and so that's why her clothes wound up in the, or perhaps she got out while they were trying to change her into the, and she ran out before they got her, and she got to the pub, and then they caught her in the pub and put her in the thing. So that that is how I'm head canning this around because that that casts Joe in a more positive light too, and that she tried to escape even though she failed. Going back to the running around and escaping and just getting caught again routine. I feel like that definitely fits with Joe's character. That's mm-hmm. totally a thing she would have done. But like they make it pretty clear that from the place where everybody's sort of standing around the middle of town, mm-hmm. you can see the front door of the pub and you can see the church. And like we've been there. Right. We know if somebody's standing near where they had the maypole... You could see somebody running from the church to the pub. Well, maybe around the back. Maybe around the back of the buildings. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think there's a way that you could do that without actually being seen. So I feel like that's I like I still like that idea, but I, I feel like it's a little it's a little flimsy on the on the face of it. Uh, well, I 
there's a giant demon that grows out of a thing in the room and a gargoyle that comes to life and comes back again and manages to reform itself after getting blown up by a bazooka. So you don't tell me about <laughs> unbelievable stuff that's happening from people running behind buildings in a village in England. Sure. I did really like the uh, bazooka blowing up the gargoyle. That um, was amazing. That was pretty cool. Cool effect. Yeah. I also liked, we both remarked about this at the time, when uh, John Levine as Benton jumps off and uses like the uh, the runner on Bessie yes. as a little launching pad to take down um, the newspaper man there. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was, a, that was a nice tackle. Good job. Uh, good job, Benton. Yeah. It was actual John Levine too doing the stunt. So, and then Peter Diamond makes a return to Doctor Who to be the fight guy and he actually hit John Levine on the hand during that. Like when he says, I'm going to knock your gun, he actually whaps him on the hand. He actually hurt his hand in that. So, Oopsie. Yep. Peter Diamond. Uh, anything else about the demons as a whole, these last two episodes, season eight in general, the master season? It was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I didn't dislike it the way I thought I would. There were, there were things that I liked. Good. I'm happy enough to have it in the rear view mirror, but it mm-hmm. was, it was fun. Well, good. We are now 40% through the John Pertwee era. That's all. <laughs> Season nine awaits a very transitionary. Trans- is that a word? Transitionary, transitional season. I think so it segues into the the latter part of the Pertwee era. I find. Do you know what story uh, leads off season nine? I don't. Do- you, go ahead and tell me. I'm going to tell you. It's Day of the Daleks. I'm pretty sure I've never seen that. This is exciting then. I'm excited for this moment, the return of the Daleks after so many years. Yeah. We'll talk about more about that, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to this one. We'll be watching the the original version. Um they did a a special edition on uh the DVD release and what was great about it is that they actually shot some new location footage and stuff. They actually got like like the original type of 16 millimeter film camera to shoot these scenes and they look immaculate and it's so good and so maybe we should watch that one twice we won't watch it twice we'll just watch the original but i just wanted to point that out that the restoration team did a wonderful job at doing the special edition version which we will not watch we'll watch the original one on the next episode of this year podcast yeah that's uh, yeah it feels like a very long time since we've seen daleks mm-hmm. i'm not convinced that they needed to come back but uh, we'll see well we'll see indeed on the next episode of lazy doctor who on the incomparable network <laughs> goodbye happy birthday <laughs>